Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Welcome back to the IRR show and today's guest I'm hopefully he's going to follow on a little bit from what we spoke about last week. He is Professor David Benatar, Professor of Philosophy at the University of Cape Town. He's also a member of the editorial board of the Journal of Controversial Ideas. And today we're going to discuss what appears to be perhaps unnecessarily controversial idea. David, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Cool. Um, I'll tell you why we link it to last week. One of my colleagues and I were talking about the situation that Professor Adam Habib finds himself in at the School of, of um, Oriental and African Studies in, in London. And we were talking in general about the, the issue of racism, uh, particularly in, in, in the Anglophone countries. And what we, I'm really looking to, discuss with you is 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 the is the word that Adam Habib used and basically and I'm going to say it he used the word nigger to explain that the use of the word would result in severe action being taken against to any anyone who uttered the word and this conversation came about because a student on online asked him what his approach would be if someone used the N-word, and they indicated that that had happened at the school. His very utterance of the word then caused a firestorm that may see him losing his very or <laughs> rather short tenure. I think he started in January. Why? What, what is? What? Is, what? How would you describe the the sort of reserved use of a word like, and I quote again, "nigger," and why it is ending up? literally ruining people's careers because there's madness in the air and uh, aside from that <laughs> the world is insane so what i would say is that there's an important distinction that philosophers draw between the use of a word and the mention of a word mm-hmm. those are two different things so if you direct a slur at somebody you are using that slur word if i ever somebody then reports what you said they said that sarah said such and such then they are mentioning the word rather than using it and I'm afraid that people today who regard themselves as intelligent, regard themselves as educated, are simply unable to understand this basic distinction. Is it a failure to understand it, or is it is is there some really malign intent um, behind it? Because it it's it's it seems so intuitive that you know you, to make the distinction of actually insulting someone by using the word and mentioning it in a range of different contexts as. Adam Habib did in this case? It certainly should be clear to people. When I say that there's a failure to understand it or an inability to understand it, it's unclear whether that is because of some kind of cognitive shortfall or Mm -hmm. whether there's some maliciousness behind it. But either people can't or they won't understand it. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be very much a symptom of... uh, of woke culture and and cancel culture, and what seems to be happening is 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 words of this of this ilk seem to almost take on a sort of an, an, um, uh, incantation. You know that it may be said by certain people, but may not be said by other people, and th- that depends on on the criteria that these people determine, which often seem bizarre and 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 nonsensical. 
Yes, I don't think that this is a new phenomenon. As you're aware, I recently wrote a piece on politics web in which I drew some parallels between the kind of madness we're seeing today and in the past seeing people executed for uh, for blasphemy. Uh, now, obviously, there's a distinction between cancelling somebody with stones by ending their life and cancelling somebody in the way in which it's done today. But the background or inability to distinguish between the use and the mention of a word, uh, that's not something new. That's an old pathology which we find now in, in new guise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's really following a, a new, a new. It's almost, it's almost a new religious culture. It's, it's a, it's a set of beliefs, and if you go against the, that belief in any particular way or form, um, you are, de- you are then, you have then blasphemed. Have I, have I, have I yes. sort of uh, expressed it correctly? Yes, I think there is a kind of contemporary sense of blasphemy. What I would want to do is distinguish between two things. So the one is the inability or the unwillingness to recognize the distinction between the use of a word and the mention of a word. And then there's what you do with that afterwards. So you could have people who are upset by the mention of a word because they can't tell the difference between that and its use, who don't then proceed to try to cancel the person who has mentioned the word. So these two things are in principle separable, the inability Mm. or unwillingness to make the distinction and then the attempt to cancel somebody. But when you put these two things together, you have a very toxic mix with the result that people who have in fact done nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong in merely mentioning a word in order to condemn it, in many Mm, cases, mm, as in the mm. case with Adam Habib, uh, to condemn its use, uh, then being subjected to this this ostracism and this attempt to have them removed from their jobs and have their livelihood destroyed and their reputations destroyed. Um, The ironic thing is that the people who are engaging in this kind of mob behavior are doing something which is much, much worse than the mere mention of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet somehow they get lost in the crowd, lost in the mob of people who are doing this, and they don't pay, face any kind of repercussions mm-hmm. for the really terrible things that they're doing to people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, one certainly gets the sense from the uh, SOAS uh, situ- situation that you've almost got a kind of – offence has been taken, it's, it's spread into a mob response, and that the unions at SOAS and possibly the people who will have to determine whether Habib comes or goes – it's it's a it's a it's a mob with a set of pitchforks. Figurative pitchforks in this yeah. case, but yes, um, and I think part of yeah. it's part of a broader problem of offence. So we've got to the point where all somebody needs to say is that they're offended, at least if they belong to certain categories mm. of people, and then uh, the the expected response is now to self-flagellate, to apologise, to back off. Uh, whereas we need to be able to subject offence to critical evaluation. Sometimes when people take offence, it's entirely justified, entirely appropriate. Mm-hmm. And on other occasions, people are taking offence where offence is inappropriate. And uh, that needs to be something that we interrogate and assess. Uh, my impression, particularly looking at the situations in which uh, people, which you mentioned from the article, uh, Donald McNeil Jr., uh, New York Times Jr. Uh, journalist, and there've been and, and there've been a number of of of, of quite high-profile journalists who've been on the receiving end of something of this ilk. Um, that there's there's the defence of the of people who have who have been treated in this way doesn't generally arise. It's only, it only arises in certain pockets among certain um, journalists or, or thinkers who are prepared to actually come out and say it uh, because 
Is it possibly because they, they don't know how they should respond to it? Or is it because the, the people making, leveling the accusations are being so accusatory and literally rude and almost sh and shouting on some occasions? So there's, it, it, it's almost a physical intimidation um, of, the, of the victim. I think there's lots going on that explains why more people are not willing to speak out. But one of them is the sheer intoler intolerance mm -hmm. and the repercussions for those people who stand up against that intolerance. So if you see somebody being subjected to a mob like this and you speak out, there's a great chance that you are now going to be subjected to the same uh, vitriol, the same counselling, and people are fearful of that. So we find the same sort of dynamic that we've seen on many occasions in the, in the past in, in human history again manifesting. Uh, once again, I want to say that the risks are now generally not to people's lives, as they have been in some other circumstances, uh, but they are nonetheless very serious risks to people's reputations and well-being and welfare. Mm. No, th th this is this is the, uh, the this is the real problem, and of course it seems to have taken off in in the corporate sector, in the big corporate, big American corporates, um, to a considerable degree, um, where you literally have management being dictated to by junior staff who. Mm. I mean, my, my reaction would be to, to, um, to give them written warnings and tell them that if they do it again, they'll be fired. Or, or, you know, the employees are not responding in that way. Um, are they afraid of them? Have they drunk of the same Kool-Aid? Um, I think there's a lot of fear in the air. Yes, I do think that's the case. We see that in the universities as well, where completely irrational behavior is not checked by those people who are meant to be leading the institutions. Uh, they... They either have, as you say, drunk the Kool-Aid and themselves believe this nonsense, uh, or they're too fearful of speaking up against it. One of the things um, I, I wondered is, it, might this sort of ultimately feed on itself and eat, eat its own children in the sense that because you can never be sure what it, you, you don't know, and this might differ a little from old-fashioned um, religious blasphemy, you, you don't actually know what you might say that might cause offence. So even if you are on the side of the of, of the aggrieved and and you you're the you amongst those who feel hurt, you may one day say something and discover that the attention is turned on you um, because you didn't realise that it was non you to say this thing. Yeah, I think that uh, that happens very often. It's happened in the past. I expect it's going, we're going to see a lot more of it now. Uh, but uh, it, it may, in that sense, eventually run its course if you have mm -hmm. enough people who've been subjected uh, to this kind of treatment. But that brings me very little comfort because the mm -hmm. threshold you'd have to reach of the number of people who are targeted in this way is so high that the amount of damage that would be done before this uh, wears itself out would be immense. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to have a kind of call for sanity well before that. Right. What... Uh, uh, what do you think would would be persuasive? Because it seems like you've got the rational on 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 the side you you're just talking about, and you've got irrationality, almost magical as you use it, magical thinking on the on the on the on the other side. It's it's never the twain shall meet. Well, I must say I'm rather pessimistic about uh, about what our chances are here, because contrary to this human tendency to refer to ourselves as homo sapiens, mm. I think there's rather little evidence of that. Uh, it, it may be that we have certain capacities that exceed those of the other animals that we are aware of, uh, but to characterize ourselves as homo sapiens is, I think, a distinct overstatement, mm. a, a kind of self-adulation that is, that is unwarranted. Mm. The vast mass of human behavior is deeply irrational.
Yeah, and it always seems to have gained a, a sort of it, it, it's essentially come about through through an academic uh, pursuit of what just makes no sense and isn't rational and you cannot take the an argument to a, to, a, to a logical extreme on this um i also wondered because whether there's an element to the fact that the generations that are sort of between the ages say i don't know 18 and 30 now i forget which generations they're meant to be um Parents, certainly like myself, would say, you know, the kids, two things, kids have not been adequately uh, disciplined during their upbringing is, is the one thing. And the other thing is this seems to be the sort of, sort of hello, uh, very respectful response to what the youth want and what the youth think. And my feeling would be, well, the youth are youth for a reason. They won't get respect for what they say and think until they've had experience in the world and learned something. Look, I think there is a generational issue here, and there has been some writing about what might explain that. It's hard to know how pervasive it is, because, again, it could be that there's a relatively small minority that are so vocal that they're browbeating other people uh, into either being silent or into uh, joining, uh, joining the madness. So it's hard to know how many sort of true believers there are and, and how many people are really just going along for the ride. Mm. Uh, but there does seem to be a generational problem, and I, I don't know what the explanation for it is. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely... Uh, it, it, I mean, I look at it, you often see people say, you know, you know, listen to the youth, we need the, the sort of youth leagues of the various uh, political parties. Um, first of all, what you discover when they, when they say something is that they're not saying anything you haven't heard before, mm. and that uh, whatever they need, what they say they need or desire or want, is is what as older people with experience as parents, one is attuned to, uh, one is attuned to anyway. Can I just take on a slightly different tack because it, it goes to the fact that so much of the the current craziness revolves around basing. The, the white supremacy that is responsible for all their woes on the evils of, of colonialism, etc. Is this, I mean, surely it's a sign, it's a very distressing sign to know that people are actually basing, um, s- supposedly rational arguments on a very, very poor, very limited, uh, knowledge of history. And there's no attempt to actually go beyond the periods of slavery in the, in the US or the period of apartheid in South Africa. How, how does is there any way one can deal with this, or does one rely on the educational system actually making making the change, making sure that people do learn something about history? I think this is only part of the problem because if you look at the general problem of wokeness, it's not just about uh, racial questions. There are a wide array of uh, touchy subjects that uh, the woke are attentive to. Now, I want to say that I think there is a need for sensitivity around certain issues. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not opposed to that. But what we see in wokeness is is a form of madness. There's uh, an inattentiveness to important distinctions that need to be drawn, to seeing when a view is grounded in reality and when it's not. And so I wouldn't want to pin this down as a reaction to some perceived colonialism. That might be mm. part of it, but we have a much broader uh, problem here. To pick up from the colonialist side and to go back to uh, Adam Habib's situation, um, I see that the person in the, the 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 lady who will be in charge of investigating uh, this whole Ferrari is a, JD, a lady by the name of Judy Clements, and she is an 
she has OBE after her name, which is Order of the British Empire. And I gather the head of the, uh, the head of the chairman of trustees is, is also a woman whose name I forget for the moment, um, and has a similar, uh, honor after her, after her name. I mean, that strikes me as extraordinarily ironic. Um, it, how, you know, do, can they, can they square it or they're just under such pressure from the howling mob to make sure that that they get the right answer for them. Well, again, I think there's a distinction to be drawn here between an opposition to colonialism and an opposition to what Adam Habib said. It's possible for somebody to have more nuanced views about colonialism and have less nuanced views about the use mentioned distinction. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure that there's a logical uh, contradiction here, uh, but I would need to know much more about these particular people's broader mm-hmm. views to see mm-hmm. whether there was a a contradiction, and I suppose I'm less interested in that than in evaluating the response that we've seen to what Adam Habib said and what others have said. I get the impression, and I'm uh, I'm speculating on this, uh, when one looks at the statements made from the SOAS uh, professionals and support staff union and some of the students' union that fall under that umbrella, um, there's a lot of very aggressive mention about the way he managed this during the Fees Must Fall protest. And it seems like, and, and, and this is why I wondered whether he might have been in, to some extent set up, that they, they have got their information from some of the student groupings who, who came into contact with, with, uh, with Adam, uh, on the one hand, and also the fact, and also the EFF, the, 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 the political party has been mentioned as well. Um, so I, I wondered how, you know, obviously from my point, certainly from my point of view, and I imagine possibly from yours too, is of the, in the, of all the universities who dealt with that episode, Adam Habib tackled it more firmly than most. I agree that he did, and it's quite possible that uh, that is causing some people to have an agenda against him. But I would not put it past people to have gone after him over, over this issue, even if he'd behaved in their view, impeccably mm. on the protests, uh, because your your reputation counts for very little when you push one of these buttons. If you utter one of these words that is unutterable, that is ineffable, uh, then the mob will come down on you irrespective of what your background is. That, that, that's that's really the, the – I mean, it, as you say, it's not – people are not being sort of stoned to death for it, and, and you use the wonderful example of uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian, which I might get you to sort of elucidate on. But, I mean, if you lose your your stature and you lose your job and your reputation is sullied, um, there's a very real chance that you'll 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 not recover from that. Oh, I have no no doubt about that. There have been a lot of people who have been deeply hurt by this kind of behavior, and some have even taken their own lives as mm. a result. There have been extreme cases of that. There was uh, even a case of that at uh, UCT. Mm. That's uh, and, right. And uh, I think people are not sufficiently attentive to the damaging effects of, of mob behavior. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the problem when you're dealing with, in, with academia, I would imagine, is the fact that you are dealing with peop- with, with young people who are – they're impressionable. They, at, a, at an aggressive stage of their lives, they know better than everybody else. So they, they're not. A lot of people are not. A lot of people that age are really not open to a, a rational discussion about about these sort of things. It, it, it gives them an opportunity to really be seen, um, to be acting uh, in the interest of something. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. There is a problem there. Look, I don't want to say that uh, young people have never had 
ideas that are in advance of the more uh, senior generation. It's certainly been the case that some people have been stuck in old ways and then a new generation comes along and they more tuned to uh, to thoughts that are that are indeed progressive. But I don't think that's what we've got going on here. And the way, of course, to tell whether somebody, whether they are young or old, uh, has something important to say is to hear them say it and then to subject it to evaluation. Right. But that's not what we're seeing. We're not seeing a rational response to uh, what people are proposing. We're seeing mm. a kind of frenzy, a mob frenzy. The, I mean, what, just sort of to, to tail off, one of the things that's been startling about the death of George Floyd and the, and the, and the, uh, and what arose from it and the, the protests and the, and the destruction and, and injury and even death that resulted from it is that quite soon afterwards it became very apparent that the, the sort of allegations of, of the way in which, uh, uh, blacks who were shot by policemen, or well, white policemen in America, the the actual facts, the analysis, of the facts didn't match the the perception that led to, that that helped feed the riots. Um, is, is that are those sort of facts likely ultimately to clear up things, or do you think the irrationality is such that it may not make that much difference in the long run? Well, I've not done a careful assessment of those facts. I am aware of some of the competing narratives around yeah. them. I've not done an evaluation of that myself, so I'll rather speak more generally. And that mm-hmm. is that I do fear that the facts have too small a role in the formation of public policy and of, uh, of public views. A lot of people just have preconceived ideas. They're not sufficiently attentive to what the evidence actually says. They want to view the evidence through the prism that they already have. Mm-hmm. And now, this is obviously to a certain extent unavoidable for all of us. We've all got mm. biases, but the goal is to try to step back from those and to look at the evidence as carefully as you can and then to formulate opinions. And what you, what you get when you do that is complexity. Mm. You find out that the world is a complex place. And so there are indeed very severe forms of racism that continue in the world today. Mm. Uh, but there are also instances where there's perceived racism and it's not really there. Mm. And you do see this in the black community and you see it as well in the Jewish community. Mm. Uh, and so what we need to do, we have a responsibility uh, to to make these careful assessments and not to think that all instances of racism or all instances of anti-Semitism are alike. Uh, not everything is the mm. Holocaust and not everything is slavery and not everything is the killing of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. So some things are, we need to recognize uh, the, a wrong for what it is and under the magnitude that it is. And we need to recognize that sometimes smaller wrongs lead to bigger wrongs, but not always. And sometimes things that are perceived as instances of racism or anti-Semitism aren't really. Mm. The Mm. world is a complex place, and unfortunately, the ideologues only see simplicity. Mm. There's there's, there's no nuance, and the world is is full of nuance. Mm. Exactly. Um, In the last couple of minutes that I've got you, um, would you be able to sort of recount the example you give from the life of Brian about the effect of using uh, uh, using a word or whether you know whether you're using it or whether you're mentioning it um, uh, because it was it, it it was a lovely um, example of of how these things get out of hand even if it's done in a purely comic and satirical way. Yes, I fear my recounting won't be anything like actually watching it. So yeah. I would strongly recommend that your listeners uh, Google the relevant scene, the stoning scene from the life of Brian, 
and, and watch it for themselves. Mm. But in essence, what they're doing in that scene is lampooning people who are unable to see the difference between using a word, in this case it's it's God's name, and mm-hmm. then merely mentioning it. And uh, the, the, the bizarre thing is that when you watch that film, at least if you watched it in 1979 or any time since, uh, you would have seen the humor, or hopefully you would have mm. seen the humor in it. But when the very same behavior occurs in reality, it's no longer funny. It's actually mm. deeply sad. It's deeply mm. sad when the spoofing, the lampooning becomes the reality. Well, I think there was a wonderful comment on Twitter in relation to the uh, to Adam Habib's situation. Um, and it went something along the lines of, uh, I assume SOAS uh, film sock is not showing Blazing Saddles anytime soon. And that really captured it because, of course, uh, the N-word is used all the time throughout the whole film. And, and it's the very purpose of the film is to criticize racism and assuming people are what they are because of the color of their skin. And as you say, the sad thing is that it, it look, it's, it's very difficult for Blazing Saddles not to be funny um, just by virtue of what it is. But the fact that when it was made, I think it was in 1979, everyone would laugh at it knowing exactly what it was intending to convey. And nowadays you, you couldn't be sure. Right. Well, I think there are other distinctions that might be operative there as well. So even when we're looking at uses of a word, words can be used in different ways. Even slurs can be used in certain in different ways. So sometimes a slur is used in a slurring sense in mm. order to level an epithet at somebody. But very often you find that uh, members of a group to which a slur is directed take the slur on board and then they begin to use it in a different way. And it may well be that they are doing that in order to try to rob that slur of some of the uh, the power that it has. Mm. Uh, so that's a different kind of distinction. Earlier I was drawing the distinction between use and mention. Mm. Here there'd be a distinction between different kinds of uses. You can imagine that if people are unable to tell the distinction, tell the difference between use and mention, they're going to have even more difficulty trying to work out the differences between different kinds of uses. Yes, I think uh, I, th- I think that's a good point to leave it on because I think any any further would take us down a rabbit hole of real despair. <laughs> Um, David, thank you very much for coming on and, and I think uh, giving you insight into a subject that uh, is, is starting to occupy, is occupying our existences in a broader and broader sense. It's moved out of academia and into moving into the workplace and more traveling in, into schools. Um, so thank you very much. Much appreciated and my hope I can get you on again in the future. Certainly. My pleasure. Nice to be with you. Thank you very much.